When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs> All right, the family with Tom Bernard and Catherine Brandt. Oh, oh my <laughs> God! Step all over me, starting Tevin. at Tony. Run. Uh, <laughs> here we go. The family with Tom Bernard and co-host Catherine Brandt. Tevin Pittman. <laughs> Alex Brandt Bernard Rasmussen. <laughs> Melissa Kirk. Andy Brandt Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. If Tony hasn't decided just to run like hell, we'll be right back with Tony Pauline NFL Combine Recap. This ought to be interesting. Draftanalyst.com. That is draftanalyst.com. We'll be right back with Tony Pauline right after this. The family. Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. Join me, Tom Bernard, and Doug Sprinthal as we talk cars, how to buy them, how to lease them, how to make the most of your money, and much more. What's it going to take to earn your business right now? Tune in every Thursday from 2 to 3 Central or download it on the Tom Bernard Podcast page. I don't know. I think I'm going to have to think about it. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. 
Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. Yeah, I agree with this movie compl- I mean this music completely. <laughs> no, oh my god. I have lost my mind. I really have. There's my no name. doubt about it. The patience of a saint, if he's still there, Tony Pauline with us, uh, NFL Combine Recap Draft Analyst.com. And you pronounce it just b- believe? That is the way Tony. it's pronounced, correct. Believe Podcast Network. Uh, the Believe Podcast Network. I want to make sure that that was true. Uh, Tony, it's, it's a great day for you to call in because I do a morning show in town also. And this morning on the morning show, I said, are the Vikings ever going to get an offensive lineman who knows what the hell they're doing? It's getting really old, Tony. I will tell you that. Well, we'll see. I mean, that's why it's their biggest need heading towards the draft. I mean, Kirk Cousins, I think, had a disappointing season last year. you got to protect Kirk Cousins, especially. Um, so I think that's... Uh, I thought that would have been their goal in free agency, although there yeah. were not a lot of free agent offensive linemen. It's got to be their goal in the draft. Yeah, there was one one offensive lineman that was available in the draft, and he went to the Saints from the Vikings. So what does that tell you? I mean, I, I Tony, how long you been uh, how long you been in the business uh, of podcasting and, and draft analysis and the NFL Combine and all the rest? You've you've been pretty much interested in this your whole life. Well, I mean, podcast just a couple of years. The NFL Combine, right. I've been to every NFL Combine since 2001. The NFL draft business itself, probably since the late 80s here in New York. Okay, late 80s. So, so you know the pain I go through by being a Minnesota Viking fan. They haven't even been to a Super Bowl in 42 years, so I think I'm just going to fold up the tent one of these days, Tony. I love the NFL. Obviously, the NFL is still the hottest ticket in America. I mean, nothing else compares to, to NFL football, does it? I guess it's the eye of the beholder. I mean, I'm partial to the college game myself, which is why you mm-hmm. know I, I've been so ingrained and ingratiated with the NFL draft because it's much just watching college football players and projecting them to the next level. So, I, I mean, listen – the NFL is king of the castle. The NFL owns a day of the week. I mean, we just saw, right. you know, you talk about the combine. I mean, there's no balls being kicked. There's no uh, handoffs. There's no passes being thrown. Yet the NFL combine, you would have thought it was the middle of the season, the way people were reacting and the way there was, the coverage was going on at that event. So, uh, I mean, the NFL stands above all the other leagues, that's for sure. Tony, do you think that is because – we're not, I mean, we, you could stand next to a baseball player and say, you know, I'm, he's about my size or whatever, or certainly not the NBA or basketball, college basketball. But I think one of the things about the NFL is, um, it, this is for people, I, I'm sure you have, but if you've ever been on the sidelines watching an NFL game or a college game with a, you know, a good team, a college with a good team, you cannot believe how big and how fast these people are. And it's, it's almost mythical now at the point where these people are so big and so good, it's like they're not even human anymore. It's, it's amazing how talented these people are. Well, I, I think you can find that in any sport. You know, you, you, the Michael Jordan yeah, of probably. the world, the LeBron James yeah. of the world. I, I think with football, is, it's not as saturated as other sports. I mean, basically for the longest time it was one day a week as opposed to – Baseball, yeah. football, hockey, which is seven days a week. And I, I think, you know, the NFL, with things like the combine and the way they're starting to really market and commercialize the draft, they're just starting to tap into, you know, off-season uh, events 
and you see it with Thursday night football, they're just starting to, to basically make it more than a, a one-day-a-week game, uh, which is feeding the appetite as far as – that's my, that's my opinion anyway. Mm-hmm. I just – one other quick aside, Tony, and then I'll shut up because I want to hear what you have to say. But did you – are you a baseball fan as well as, as football, college football? Uh, are you a baseball fan as well? I'm not a baseball fan, but here in New York, I do have uh, the 20-game Saturday night package for the New York Mets because I love going to City Field on a Saturday night and having a few beers and, and watching, uh, watching the Mets play. I mean, I won't watch baseball as I will college football nonstop, but I, I do enjoy going to baseball games primarily at City Field. Yeah, the only reason I ask you that is I never thought as a child, well, Harmon Killebrew was a big-time twin when I was a kid, and when he signed for hundred grand a year, it was a huge deal nationally. I never thought I would see the day that a baseball player would sign a contract for $333 million. Unbelievable. Well, Bryce Harper just signed with the Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, well, if, if they're signing for that amount, it means that the owners are making much more money because the owners can afford to pay them, so... <laughs> That's exactly right. It it, it all trickles down. No, you're absolutely right about that. So what do you got coming up for the 2019 season? What do you think of, first of all, college football gets better and better and better as time goes by. The NFL gets better. It gets bigger. Uh, How's 2019 looking to you, Tony? Well, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. As far as the college game's concerned, you've got to, uh, you can't can't forget about the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. Despite the fact oh, they God, got no. stomped in the national championship game, they always find a way to reload. And I think when you look at the NFL, you know, you can't dismiss the New England Patriots because like Alabama, when everybody wants to cancel them out or say they're done, they just find a way to rebound. I'm sure there'll be some surprises in both the college and the NFL game. Uh, we'll just have to, you know, see how it plays out. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Uh, in the combine, do you see anything that really stuck out to you? I mean, there were a couple of performances. Obviously, everyone wants to talk about Montez Sweat, the defensive end pass rusher from uh, Mississippi State, who ran 4.41 at 260 pounds. People oh. love D.K. Metcalf, the receiver from Mississippi, who was, ran a 4.33 at 228 pounds. Uh, I really liked uh, Nikhil Harry, the receiver from Arizona State. He only ran a 4.53, but people thought he would, may struggle breaking 4.7 seconds in the 40. So I, I love watching those guys who go to the, the combine and perform much better than expected. I think Nikhil Harry, the receiver out of uh, Arizona State, did exactly that. You know, it's amazing to me, Tony, I talked about earlier, uh, being on the sidelines for an NFL game was a Viking game. Uh, and I, uh, I've been on the sidelines for University of Minnesota football games. Uh, uh, right now, and I guess every year it gets, it's get, it gets much bigger and much better, but I was on the sidelines, and uh, the Vikings ran a sweep, and it was running right at their bench. I was standing right next to their bench. These guys were so fast and so big, I kind of peed a little bit. i got to be honest with you, Tony. I'm not going to cover it up. It scared the hell out of me just watching them come at me. It was amazing. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, I've been to every padded senior bowl practice since 2000. And back in the old days, when the senior bowl before the practices were televised, you used to be able to get on the field and right in the action. And the biggest crowds were always around the pit. And the pit is where the offensive linemen and defensive linemen face off. And, you know, mm-hmm. people would be pushing, trying to get closer. And then all of a sudden, you know, an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman will, 
sweep around the offensive tackle, get a clear shot and beat him, and, and he's heading right towards you, and it's like Doc heads for the hills because here comes this guy that's 270 pounds running full force. I know, and like you said, four five speed at 260, 70 pounds. That is unbelievable. That is fast, man. It, it is. It's intimidating. That's why <laughs> That's why the, the Minnesota Vikings are in trouble, because they can't get anybody to block those guys. No, you're absolutely right. That's 100% correct. They don't have an offensive line. They, can't, they got nobody to hold them out, and therefore we can't, we can't get anything done. But um, Now, tell me, if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little about the Believe Podcast Network. Where did it start? How did it start? And what's it all about? Well, it started out in California. I'm, I'm actually an outsider from New York, but it's a, it's a group of podcasts that basically covers everything. We are the NFL draft guys of the podcast. They cover the, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, they have a great uh, podcast with Ryan Leaf. We now have a basketball podcast, oh, yeah. so it's a growing, growing podcast network. They even have yoga. I'm not, I don't do yoga, but uh, maybe someday I'll listen to it. I'm sure it's good for the yoga fans. I have a yoga <laughs> podcast, so I, I mean, it's something that <laughs> you're laughing. I'm sorry, but you said uh, but maybe someday I'll look at it. <laughs> yeah, I, guess. I like when you said that. Uh, I, yeah, listen, listen I, I'm, a, I'm a throwback guy. I still wear one of those big old leather belts when I lift weights. So uh, that, that tells you where I'm at. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's a great growing family of uh, podcasts, which basically uh, I, I think touch not just sports, but uh, culture as well. Yeah, well, see, I think that that's interesting you bring that culture up as well because the NFL particularly really influenced our culture as Americans now because of all the the off-the-field goings-on, you know, whether it's Colin Kaepernick or, or whatever's going on. Uh, and a, a lot of focus on, on players and, and uh, the abuse uh, of family members. It's just it, the sport, as the players get bigger, it seems to me that not necessarily well, there are problems. There's no doubt about that. But it, the whole idea of the NFL just gotten so much bigger now. And I, Kaepernick, did he really? The ballpark I heard was he walked away with about eighty million. Is that true, or is that even? I mean, you probably don't know. But I mean, that's it, what it, they the, say. The, the word, yeah, the word was between sixty-five to eighty million. I, I you know, I'm <sighs> sure it was somewhere in that range. Listen, the NFL does not want bad publicity. You go back right. to the whole situation with the concussion. I mean, that was something. And I spent some time speaking with somebody about this at the, uh, at the Combine who was involved with this from the player's perspective, who thought that, you know, really the NFL could have fought this, but they thought it was best just to give them a settlement, yep. just, to, you know, to, just to be over with it. So uh, <laughs> from, from our perspective... You know, we wonder why, well, many people may wonder why Colin Kaepernick got that much money. But from the NFL perspective, they just want to be done with it. You know, no publicity, in a situation like that, no publicity is good publicity for them. No, I think you're absolutely right, and that, that, that is very smart thinking. Well, doesn't Goodell himself make about $50 million a year just being the commissioner? Makes a lot of bread, makes a lot more money than I'll ever make, so that, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and, you know, again, you, you go back to what you said about you know, Boog Powell versus Bryce Harper. I mean, right, he's making right. $50 million a year because he's helping the owners make billions of dollars a year, and he's, helping, he's making $50 million yes. a year because in the past, when the franchise may go for an obscene amount of money, like $400 million, today those franchises are worth more than a billion dollars. So for the uh, owners, it, it, it's, it's worth the investment.
It's so amazing. And what Tony's talking about, we're talking to Tony Pauline from the Believe Podcast Network, draftanalyst.com, the NFL Combine recap. The amazing thing about that is when I was nine years old, when I was nine years old, the Minnesota Vikings were purchased from the NFL for $100,000. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about that. A hundred grand. And now it's worth, I think the, uh, the, I think the Minnesota Vikings are worth now $1.6 billion. And I think uh, the Giants, the Jets, they're worth well over $2 billion, Well over Jesus. $2 billion. And I don't even Cowboys. know how much the Patriots. Cowboys are worth a fortune. The, the, obviously, the, the Patriots are worth a ton. But the Minnesota Vikings were purchased from the NFL for $100,000. Isn't that just, that's alarming actually it's not only startling it's alarming the 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 jump in money that that league has kicked in uh good for them look i'm not holding it against them i watch the nfl i watch the viking games uh, michelle tafoy who does sideline for nbc does the morning show that i do here in, in minneapolis st paul she loves it loves being around it so people people are deeply enamored with the nfl they have a there's a ton of interest in it so i think you're in the right business tony well, <laughs> my wife would debate that with you. Sure, that's true. It, 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 it's very addictive. It, it, that's what it is, when, especially in my business, the scouting business. It's very addictive. You know, uh, I watch game film 12 months a year. I take a two-week break when the, uh, the, when the 2019 draft is over. I'll take maybe a two-week break from watching game film. I'll go upstairs, watch some television with my wife and my daughter, and I'm saying, "There's what am I paying all this money for? Because there's nothing on TV. I'll get bored watching mm-hmm. TV by the <laughs> middle of May. I will start watching film again to prepare for the 2020 draft. So I, I think it's, you know, in, in certain areas, in certain aspects, it's about you know, as much being addicted to it as it is anything else. And, and that's what Bill Parcells, going back to the day, Bill Parcells said that. You know, uh, I remember Bill Parcells, Talking to his wife, talking about how his wife said, "You know, you're miserable when you lose. You're not happy when you win. You want to go back and coach." And and he said, "You know, it's like an addictive narcotic. You just can't separate yourself from it." I think that is true. And and even as a fan of the NFL, I sometimes I you know every not every but a lot of Februarys and back in the day Januarys. At the end of the season, I've had it with this team. I, I, they're driving me nuts. I'll never watch them again. But as soon as that first game in August kicks in, I'm right there watching every minute of it. So it is an addiction. There's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a sport that I couldn't possibly play anywhere near that level. So, therefore, I think it fascinates me to watch it. I think that is very true. I, I also think that the Internet, and so not so much social media, sure. but the Internet, you know, has really uh, fostered – uh, the explosion of it, because, you know, you talk about back in the day. I mean, w- what used to happen back in the day, you'd, you'd search the transaction pages, uh, uh, you search the transaction in the sports pages to see if your team cut a player or signed a player or, or something like that. Uh, I mean, there was basically no coverage of the Senior Bowl uh, except for what Pro Football Weekly used to have the week after the Senior Bowl about practices. The combine was like a KGB event. I mean, it was a lot. You couldn't get near it. You couldn't get close to it. I got into it. I found a way to get in in 2001, but for the most part, you couldn't get into it. And then there was the lead-up to the draft, and there were magazines and guides and this and that. Now it's 24-7. I mean, you want to find out about an offensive lineman from Ferris State, you can go to YouTube and find out and get all the film clips or the film that you want on the guy. 
Uh, you, you know, you, you, people will speculate about what their team did, their team should do, did they make the right move. But I really think that the, uh, the Internet and the access to the information, which was so inaccessible in the past, has also helped to this explosion, for the, with this explosion. Yep, I think you're absolutely right. Tony, stay in touch. I'd love to talk to you as the, the season gets closer. And then I know during the season you're probably busy as hell, but I'd like to stay in touch with you. I like your take on the whole thing. I will do that. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure, Tony. Tony Pauline, ladies and gentlemen, uh, NFL Combine Recap Draft Analyst.com, host of Believe in Draft and Analysts on the Believe Podcast Network. We'll be back with the family. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the guaranteed offer program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. If you're tired of feeling frustrated because your clothes don't fit like they used to, then Nutramost is for you. Thanks to the Sheehy brothers and staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I am down 92.5 pounds. The Nutramost program is amazing. I lost over 40 pounds during each of my first two 40-day rounds. You can have great success just like me because Nutramost is customized for each individual person, and the staff at Nutramost will be there for you every step of the way. Start your weight loss journey today and let Nutramost help change your life. Give yourself this wonderful gift or give this program as a present. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Nutramost helped me change my life and they can help you too. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. What's happening, man? What are you this is double Dutch bus, Tom. Oh, God, I haven't heard this in years. Double Dutch bus. Seriously, I have not heard this in a long time. Double Dutch bus. I don't. I, I think I luckily have never heard this. <laughs> no, that was the song at the roller rink. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's that's why. Nick, it's Tevin's people. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Tevin. Poor Tevin. That's not my people. That's actually that's definitely not your people. That's actually where Izzel came from, by the way. Snoop Dogg stole it. From mm-hmm. Double Dutch Bus. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Shizzle, shizzle my nizzle. Exactly. Yeah. It's that old school inner city hip hop. That's oh, okay. what that is. Did ah. you? Now, Tevin, did you notice what Andy just did there? What? That he, he just said, went with, he said Izzle rather than Nizzle because Nizzle stands for something <laughs> you don't want a white guy saying. Shizzle. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Chisel's okay. Oh my god. Chisel's okay. Okay. <laughs> and somebody give me a chart. Give me a chart of what I cannot say. <laughs> it is all true. So what's up with you guys? It, you know, this is that the center segment of the second hour that I kind of like because you know, Tevin, what have you been up to? Alex, you've always got something to schmooze about. Melissa hasn't said a word yet. Did you get fired? No. Since I walked in here and I was like, did you quit your no. job? <laughs> no. Oh, did no. you really? No. <laughs> she, she did ask that, but no. That's very funny. Nope, oh, I, I have so, today off. Well, I'm off pretty much every day, and I just mean that mentally. So it all works <laughs> out in the end. Well, yeah. So what's new? What's the latest? Not much. Nobody has anything? Alex, you always got something you want to talk about. I don't want to talk about what's new. Yeah, no. No. Yeah. You want to talk about what? Do you not know? Oh, my God, Dad. But yes, what? He knows. Oh, yeah, I do. Why are we going to bring that up? I said, well, what's that's, new? That's what's new with yep. me. I've been dealing with that for two months. and yep. I understand. We talked about it in a morning show this morning. Oh, my God. The fact that Fawny doesn't, that's the first thing that's ever happened to Fawny along the uh, ringing down the curtain path. You know what I mean? Ringing so it's got to be very, very. Uh... Path. <laughs> oh, this is nice. What is this? Oh, gee. Death. Okay. Ringing down the curtain is death. That's what it was called back in biblical days. <laughs> never heard that. Me neither. Ring, you never heard ring down I've the curtain. I've never heard of no. anyone say that. Oh, ever. my God. Ringing it's, down the curtain. <laughs> it's such a Monday today. Oh, my God. 50 <laughs> okay. decades really ago, is. someone anyway, said that. Were anyway, that so, yes, Bella was put down this weekend because she was very Saturday. ill. And, yes, that's what's new with me. Mm-hmm. And well, fun. I'm very impressed that you can even talk about it because I couldn't even say Cassie's name for six months. Well, to me... Okay. So her, to me, seeing her sick was harder than putting her mm-hmm. down because she was just like not yeah. herself. Like I think I grieved her more when she was alive than I did mm. than I am now because it's like yeah. even though it was her body, you know, like it yeah. wasn't her really. Well, it's hard. It's hard to see them suffer. Yeah, like exactly. That. And she was just so, you know, yeah. spry and happy and everything up until the last two months, and so it just like was a really quick. All right. Thank God. Anyway. So who's sitting next to Alex right now? Melissa. I'm between Melissa and Tevin. Okay. Both of you are going to need to support her after I read this. What a coincidence this is. Great. You need to support me, guys. (laughs) I'm just going to collapse. You might might fall apart. I, I just saw this. Debbie from White Bear Lake just sent a text. I actually work at the shelter that Bella was adopted from, so I wanted to express my my sympathies. Oh, my God. She had a rough... She had a rough start to her life, so thank you for giving her a wonderful and loving second part. Wait a minute, I can't read this. I'll start tearing. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. She had a rough start for, uh, to her life, so thank you for giving her a wonderful and loving second part of her life. Well, let's just be very clear that Bella was the queen of the universe. Yeah, she, <laughs> she was. was the queen and of the everyone universe. lived yeah, to serve yeah. her for many years. She's yeah. so. like the Tevin Pittman of dogs. Yep. She had it, <laughs> had it made. Yep. She had it made. Had it made. Everybody I still feel like her. it hasn't yeah. really hit me weirdly. Like I'm so distracted yeah. with the kids and stuff mm-hmm. that I really don't feel like it's i feel like i'll probably just be at the grocery store next week and all of a sudden just burst into tears or something because like i mean i have been crying but i haven't i feel like it hasn't really hit me well i read some stuff on the internet about dealing with toddlers and you know what you're supposed to do and what you're not and they're like yeah be you know just give them facts don't embellish don't 
but they also said don't carry on about it like in front of them like if you really need to have a breakdown do it somewhere else because that just scares them so yeah you have to stay strong for them which is you know fun it was interesting because we got home and she didn't notice that bella was gone because bella was basically just like laying on the couch in the same area for a couple weeks and then she because she was at my mother-in-law's when it happened because we were like we don't she doesn't need to be here and whatever and so we came back and i was like do you notice is anybody gone and she was like where's bella and i told her about it and then she kept on talking about waiting for bella to come back she's like bella's at the dog doctor and i'm like no she's not at the dog doctor because that's the last time bella was gone she was at the vet getting tests done um and then she was like, Dad, let's set up the hammock and wait for Bella to come back. And we're like, you know, Bella's not going to come back. And we, like, kept saying, like, this is what happened. And this is, she's like, where did where did Bella go? You know, like, I'm like, I think she's talking about her body. Because yeah. Dan was like, right. she died. And I'm like, about. her body, physically, you know, she doesn't understand. And so we told her we were getting her cremated and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. then, like, 20 minutes later, she put a yoga block down and was like dad you sit next to me on this yoga block dan was like okay and she's like let's talk about new things bella died bella's not coming back and dan's like yep and then she just stood up and walked away and hasn't mentioned it again huh yeah processing like, the whole deal i'm like are you more emotionally advanced than most adults <laughs> that's amazing yeah I, yeah I, when that's i was reading true, yeah. when i was reading through all that stuff they were like if if you say she went to heaven then they they literally will think that they're just alive their body and they're just up in the sky somewhere i know or and dan, we buried her i know and she's he, alive under the ground yeah. I, mean, I know they just, and dan it's said it's hard she, for them to get it yeah and dan said she went to heaven and i was like well her soul went to heaven but i was like this is too abstract for a two and a half year old to <laughs> right. get it was like she's going to a place and it's gonna get very hot and uh, yeah it was just like oh god yeah it's interesting yeah. to go through it with a kid See, but it was a lot better when I was a kid, and we'd have, like, go up and visit my grandparents, and they would have a dog, and then the next time we'd we'd come back, I'd go, where's the puppy? Oh, the puppy moved to a different farm down the road. Oh, yeah. like, that's what they always went with. I know. Fawn would be so pissed if we were like, she went to live at a farm. She would have been like, "Uh, no, (laughs) let's go get her. (laughs) What? Yeah, no, I never got that explanation. You're horrible people. Because I'd be like, why did you give my dog away? Yeah. Like, I don't care about this dog anymore. (laughs) When I was growing up, we had a dog that disappeared and i always thought i always had a suspicion that my parents did something Don't with him no apparently no it just he ran away and he never came home like nipsey it, it actually like nipsey because of you no he just he was he was an intact male oh and, oh he yeah, was, yeah okay. and he was Terrible prone idea. to wandering to like tevin Pittman. When I was growing up, I had a dog. Wandering there. around. <laughs> Just, you know, aimlessly throughout. I like to wander this building. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Making new friends. Good idea. Oh, Tevin's is wandering yeah, yeah. again. Tevin's wandering around the building. Again. Where's Tevin? Oh, he's wandering. Yeah. I'm here and there. He's out wandering, trying to stay away from white women so he doesn't get exactly. killed like in Get Out. Whatever he doesn't yes. get brainwashed. No, does the guy get killed in Get Out or is he not? They try to kill him, but it doesn't they work. They try to kill him. Yeah. Okay. They can't okay, hold I, a brother down. Yeah, the stories right. like they want to <laughs> they can try. Oh, they want to kill black people so they can 
like eat them or wear their skin or something. No, they wanted what? their bodies, right? Didn't they want their For bodies what? or something? Or? No, I I can't even remember. Dead. I can't what? remember. They brainwashed them, and it, they didn't want to kill them. They wanted to brainwash them, but they killed. Oh, they, they killed him because they tried to kill him because he figured it all out and wouldn't be oh, brainwashed. That's right. Okay. You know what's really funny about that? Right. The yeah. exact <laughs> opposite of what's happening in the real world. Seriously. The exact opposite <laughs> of that is that everybody's being brainwashed that white men are the most evil things of all time. Well, I mean, it's like, look at Andy. Just ask anybody. So horrible human being. Well, so, Abo, Kevin, you were going to tell us a story about your dog. Technically... His mother. Technically, the uh, just his own mother. Basic idea behind Get Out is actually, in some circles, like reality, because the reason they're trying to hypnotize black people is because they think that they're cool and want to collect them. Yeah, they think they're superior. Oh, yeah, yeah. sounds like superior? certain people, so a, doesn't it? It's like Pokemon. So it's you a comedy. Catch them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta catch them all. Black guys. You know what I love? Here's what I love about human beings. Puts it in a song. Yeah, put a black guy song about catching Gotta catch black them guys. all. That's Gotta catch them all. Here's what no, I love. No. The, take, the take of white people on black people and the take of black people on white people are so far off from the truth, it's unbelievable. It's just stunning to me the stuff that people make up about someone who's not the same race they are. Dad, all Here's white people are super nerdy and dumb and clumsy. Yes, I forgot. Didn't you know? Mm-hmm. That? Black yes. people no, drive their absolutely. cars like this, but white people drive their cars <laughs> like this. Yeah, it's like, why don't we just all try to exist, you know, coexist and be good, everybody? Here's my deal. I meet someone, if I like them, I like them. If I don't, I don't. I give a rat's ass what their skin color is or their orientation is or their gender. I don't care. If you're a jerk, I don't want anything to do with you. And if you're a nice person, then I still, you know, keep you at arm's length. <laughs> no, that's not true. No, I, th- why do people out. care about this? Is it because I grew up around all, all different kinds of people? I mean, Tevin, you were one of the few black people in your entire town, weren't you? Like, there were, yeah, you was, say there like two like, or three black people? I think there's well, there Carl who worked at Dairy Queen. He had an afro. Um, Ooh, <laughs> girl with the he inspired, he inspired right. me to grow an afro. And there was, uh, <laughs> okay, see. let's see, Chelsea, Lincoln, Stephen. Oh, there's four of us. Oak, Travel, In a town of how how many? Uh, there's like, I think like 5,000 people. A little small town, Osceola, Wisconsin, just across the border. But yeah, yeah there was so like what's five that of like? us. I don't what know. I, mean, like you don't, like I never really puberty. thought of it. Like, it was just normal to me. So it was yeah, like, yeah, well, there you right. go. That's so exactly like, what I'm oh, saying. Yeah, it's just it like how normal. everywhere it is. When but, you're a kid. Yeah, you were just a member of yeah. the, the community. Yeah, yeah. It was whatever. It was yeah, just the normal everyday be. life. <laughs> right. I thought the track, well, drive your tractor to school day was weird to me. I never got that. It's weird for anybody. Yeah. We had that in our high school. It sounds a lot like our high school. I remember there were kids that were kicked out of Brooklyn Center High School, and they brought them to our high school so we could have more minorities. Naturally. Yeah. Oh, so they, they kicked them out. Here, come over here. Yeah, for like truancy um, and yeah. stuff. They got kicked out of Brooklyn Center High School. And How so did that all work out? Brought them. I don't know. I did some a couple times, and then they just kind of didn't show up to class anymore, oddly enough. No, yeah. yeah. It was always fun playing the race car, too. What do you mean? Like if, oh, really? Like if, yeah, if anything happened in class, like I had a teacher that uh, 
she asked me to turn the lights off, and I sat literally the front row next to the light switch. And I'm like, oh, is it because I'm black that I have to turn the lights off? And like, she just looks at me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, dead in my eyes, like, yes, it is. Now turn the light yeah. off, please. Like, so it was always fun so, doing that, making white people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's well wrong thank with you that. for that. Yeah. yeah. Why, why do you? Why do you think it is that people like, you know, the newspapers and the TV stations and all that don't reach out to people who live in the inner city and go, so what's that like? Because they don't have a clue what living in the inner city is like. I don't have a clue what it's like to be a black kid growing up in, in Osceola, Wisconsin. Why wouldn't you ask instead of just assume what it is? That's the part I don't get. Do you think get. that they may, maybe they're romanticizing what it might be like? Maybe. And so we need yeah, to maybe. help them. Yeah. And by maybe, I mean definitely. <laughs> Just remember, we don't want the Irish. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, yeah. Unless Except for yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yesterday, yeah. everybody was Irish. Yep. Everybody was Irish yesterday, but see, that's what I would like to do is just treat everyone the same, doesn't matter their gender or their race or anything. If it works out, great. And if it doesn't, we'll all get over it. You know what I mean? Not everybody has to be my buddy. That's a weird premise well, to me anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of white women my age that I'm not friends with. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. You're all the same. <laughs> you know? Same interests. Right? Yeah. Exactly. You love to knit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you want to speak to a manager. Yeah. Decoupage. I still, I'm telling you, on my deathbed, I, I'm going to go uh, through the signifying monkey, and I'm going to talk about uh, playing the dozens with everybody. Do you even know what that is, Devin? Yeah, right, like roasting each other. Yeah, As exactly. Kids call it Most people don't know that, though. What did you say? Like, you like making fun of each other. And like... the signifying yeah. monkey. Oh, wait, uh. what'd you call me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, right, nice try. Touche. It's a Nigerian story, uh, a story that oh, started in Nigeria, the signifying one. monkey. It's mm-hmm. a, a monkey up in a tree that does nothing but badmouth everybody that comes <laughs> by, which is pretty funny, actually. We got to take a break. Be right back in a couple of minutes. Uh, you know, maybe somebody just learned something that not everything is horrible. That everybody can get along. Just calm down. Yes, Tom. Hey, you can never tell Fawn uh, the truth that Bella got sick of you and just moved out. Yeah, she walked away. <laughs> walked away. I've had enough take of it you. Anymore. We'll be right back. The family show. Tom Bernard here. Hey, let me ask you. Do you know me because you recognize my voice or my face? Good question, isn't it? Let me ask you another one. What do you think when I say priority courier experts? Do you know them because you recognize their trucks or do you know them by their name? Well, let me tell you something you might not know about my friends at Priority. 485 local drivers, 85 office staff, 37 million deliveries since 1997, and an opportunity for you to join their company. Drivers, you can join the fleet in your own vehicle or lease to own one of theirs. Or you can join the office staff and earn the most respectable pay in the business with 15 days off in your first year. Medical, dental, matching 401k, and a genuine chance for advancement. Just ask Samantha, who started as a customer service rep and is now operations manager. Over 5,000 Minnesota companies rely on priority because every time you call us, we deliver. Join the team today at Priority.com. That's Priority.com. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry 
This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Your mission. Oh, Mission Declassified. I get it, Cassie. Yeah. I get it. Is Christoph ready to go? Yep. Christoph, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Marvelous. You pronounce your last name Putzel? Yes. Ah, how many people know how to pronounce your last name, Christoph? Not many, I bet. None. In fact, and no, I'm still figuring it out, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> Everyone in my family Christophe does it differently. <laughs> ah, well, you know what? That does happen, because in my family, my name Barnard, my oldest brother pronounced it Barnard. I was like, why do you want to pronounce the name Barnard? It's not even... Mm. Close to what it's pronounced, but or how it's pronounced, but he does it anyway. Mission Declassified premieres Sunday, March 24th at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific Time, 9 o'clock Central Time on the Travel Channel. For almost 20 years, award-winning investigative reporter Christophe Putzel has traveled the world uncovering some of the most hard-hitting stories of our time. He was ex- his exposed neo-Nazi attacks against immigrants in Russia, illegal American weapon sales to Mexican drug cartels, the tobacco industry's exploitation of children in Asia and children used to mine gold in deadly labor camps in the Congo. Don't you get a little depressed doing this job, Christoph? Honestly. <laughs> you know, yeah, to be honest, um, that is one of the main reasons I, uh, um, you know, decided to go with this show, something different. It's been, I've been tackling some, you know, some tough stuff over the years. And um, what I love about this show is that it's a little more lighthearted. We're swallowed. The subject matter is still very serious. You know, some of these are murder investigations mm-hmm. we're looking into. You know, the adventure of it, the... Um, uh, the lightness of it is um, uh, has been awesome. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I could absolutely see that. Um, uh, first of all, Christoph, you sound like you're about 18 years old. So, how old are you actually? I'm 39. God, you sound really, really young. So that's a good thing. So it's not taking the life out of you. So that's the <laughs> well, good news. There. Well, well, hopefully, I still look young on camera too. Yeah, well, that's probably true. Yeah, you're probably right about that. See, this stuff fascinates me, uh, and the timing of your appearance on the show really worked for me because yesterday I was watching the news, and there were protesters, I believe, in Washington, D.C., talking about the situation in Venezuela, and some of them were carrying signs that said that the United States of America is the biggest abuser of human rights on the planet. And I thought, are you insane? It's not even close as far as that's concerned. Human rights? I don't think so. Do you find that to be true? Um, you know, I mean, I didn't uh, see those signs, um, so I don't know. Um, but, you know, I I mean, I guess it's talking about, like, in, in everything's in context, right? I mean, what are they referring to? It? I mean, that's somebody I'd love to have a yeah, conversation with, with. You know, what is it that you mean? Um, it's always hard when, you know, you're trying to get a slogan and put it on a sign, and then put your message out there and um, you know, we would, you wouldn't need us to do these full investigative reports and look into something deeply. If you could sum up something that's incredibly complicated, like the situation in Venezuela and the United States related yeah. to it on a sign, you just can't, <laughs> you know? No, you're absolutely right. And then that's why I wanted to bring that up to you. Cause that your answer is right on the money. As far as I'm concerned, look, you, you talk about the illegal American weapon sales to Mexican drug cartels. So America is involved mm-hmm. in some shady things. Americans, I should say, on, and America is, I, I assume sure. pretty much every country in the world is involved in things they shouldn't be involved in. Is that pretty much true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, 
look, we're, we're the most powerful country in the world, and um, uh, staying on top, you sometimes do a lot of shady things. Um, uh, yeah. to do that now. You might tell yourself a story that's in the name of this, or it's to protect this, and that could very well be true. Um, but you know what we're kind of learning is throughout history is that everything has an equal and opposite reaction, and um, you know some people usually pay the price. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's very, very true. There's no question about it. But is it, you know, you look at, and I'm not taking a position on this. I don't know that America's involvement in Venezuela. Uh, so I, I, I don't have that knowledge. Therefore, I wouldn't take a, I wouldn't form an opinion on it. But I do know that people are starving, that people have to, uh, you know, go to the dams on some of the rivers to get water. There's no electricity, all the rest of it. I just hate to see the people of Venezuela having to go through this the most oil-rich sure. country in the world, and now they're all suffering mightily, and I, you just hate to see that happening. Well, of course, and, and you know, what we know throughout history is that um, often it's the places with the richest natural resources that um, are taken the most advantage of or have uh, multiple, uh, <laughs> multiple forces at work to uh, try to do something about that. There's corruption, there's uh, invasion, there's um, uh, quiet influence of different political parties, um, there, uh, there are people that benefit from the instability. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just, unfortunately, I think that we are um, in a time in 2019 where we're having a reckoning looking around the world and seeing like, hey, um, the rules we've been playing by aren't necessarily working. What are we going to do about it? Because um, it's... Uh, right. We can no longer kind of help bury our heads in the sand, or it's no longer something that you say you, you know, didn't hear about because you don't get that news channel, or, or that's not being covered on the station that I watch. Like now, with uh, for better or for worse, with so many different outlets of media, um, the world is a lot smaller, and we can see just how um, how scary it's really getting. It is well, and it and it has been for a long time. You know, one thing that I that, that I look at, Christoph, I'm I'm you know, quite a bit. I'm almost thirty years older than you are, and throughout my life, um, there have been people. I, you break it down to a neighborhood. There are some people in the neighborhood you can trust, mm -hmm. and there are some people in the neighborhood you can't trust. There are friends that. But while they say they're your friend, but the second they can take advantage of you, they do it. So there's that human nature part of it that enters in. Now, look, we're talking about a global uh, situation here and massive countries. But I think human behavior is human behavior. And, and people, for some reason, at least some people, I think, and I think most people, if they can take advantage of a situation, they will do it, whether it's a country, a city, a town, a person, whatever it is. It's that human element that gets involved. It's like, oh, man, I'm very uncomfortable with that. I, no doubt about that. But uh, do you find that to be to be the case with you as well? Well, well, I find that humans are tricky, you know, because like human behavior yeah. is also what um, has built some of the most incredible things that we, yeah. uh, that we hold up as prime examples. I mean, that's human, that's human behavior. You know, we, we are capable of both the light and the dark. That's just, uh, you know, yeah. from someone who's been around and has spent so much time in some of, I think the worst of humanity um, and seen what, uh, the consequences of it are. I've also seen some of the best. I mean, I've seen, I, I, sure. I say that like, you know, in some of the places I've gone, I'd say it brings out the worst in me and it brings out the best in me. 
um, you know, when you're really tested and you get out of your own bubble of uh, how you're used to playing the, playing the game and how you believe the machine is supposed to work, and you go and see, like, oh, man, this place has a whole other set of rules. I've got to adapt and, and play a different game or, or um, uh, uh, dig a little bit deeper or get tested in ways that haven't been tested before. It's, yeah, I mean, I'd say that, <laughs> you know, to, to, to go back to your question of, like, do, do I find that that's the case, I would say that there will always be somebody to fill the vacuum, you know, so if well, there, so hopefully that is, yeah. Um, but that could be, you know, I did a story years ago in Bhutan about, um, a country, uh, you know, the King was stepping down to bring people democracy. Now you think you'd know that story, but the, uh, what was different about it, about it was that the population didn't want him to step down. They loved the king. Mm-hmm. They didn't want democracy. Right. They looked around the world and they thought it was true. They wanted to keep the monarchy. But what the King knew and what he said was, you know what? I might be a good king, but sooner or later, we're gonna you're gonna get a bad king. <laughs> and yeah, um, no, that's very smart. Uh, you might, yeah, very smart. L- l- and I'm and I'm giving you the power now because I can't control what's gonna happen in the future. And um, you know, I think we try to make the we try to create institutions when we have a um, when we have an inspiring light when something works for the time. I mean, I love the way the United States was set up, but we also are having a reckoning right now where we're looking back and seeing like, well, did we do it perfectly? Oh, wow. There was a lot of stuff that we did to kind of get this place, right. but right. Um, right. we haven't really wanted to teach in the history books. And now that we're, it's coming back to bite us in the butt, um, we have to actually have a reckoning and, and, and talk about this and do something. Yeah, about I think it. it's, I think it's a very small, where did you grow up, Christoph? I grew up in DC. Um, oh, in DC. I so you've been around it your whole life. Huh? At all. Okay. Yeah. You did? Oh yeah. yeah both absolutely. my parents were journalists and both my grandfathers were journalists. Really? That's pretty yeah. cool. And I grew, up, uh, I grew up overseas. I, yeah, I actually lived in Moscow during uh, the height of the Cold War. My parents were uh, covering, covering it. My dad was the Moscow bureau chief of the AP. Uh, my mom was working with Time Magazine. And so we lived over there for a couple of years right before everything fell apart in 91. And mm. um, so I had that perspective growing up, too, of just how another government operates. <laughs> and... Uh, um, and how yeah. they end up getting things done and create control and create illusion. And then what happens when that illusion falls apart? And then what happens when the system of government cut falls apart? And what happens when people are there to fill the gap and fill that vacuum and maintain control? Yeah, it makes total sense. Do you, yeah, obviously you remember pretty much everything you've ever covered, I would assume. But do you, what was the first thing, the first thing that you uncovered through hard work that, that, almost devastated you and you went oh god i uh, how do you handle that because you find out things well there's an example we're talking about the tobacco industry's exploitation of children in asia that's got to be tough to look into and discover it's got to be very hard on a human being to do that yeah i'd say that probably the first um the first story ever covered was um I was 21, and I went to Kenya, and I was covering the AIDS epidemic, um, specifically orphans left behind by AIDS. And while the AIDS story had been done many, many, many times, it was really hard to try to move beyond statistics, move beyond just this kind of um, American idea or the stereotype of, like, deep, dark Africa or scary place or everything's messed up. What do you do about it? Um, You know, pictures of just starving kids or selling struthers, like, on TV telling you you should care. Like, how do you... How do you bring this really, really human, devastating story in a way that's going to impact people where they'll keep watching and not just change the channel? And I would say that that, yes, that take a major toll on me. 
Um, yeah, and I, I ended up I ended up in a Buddhist monastery after that. Um, I didn't know mm-hmm. what I was going to do with my life. I thought that I wanted to be a journalist, and I'd gone and done this. I'd made this film that did really well. It went to all the film festivals. It went to Cannes. It was. Um, you know, won a student Academy award. It was, it had, um, it had been hailed, but I was miserable, um, and had this yep. kind of survival survivor's guilt. And also this, you know, what, what are we really doing? What does it even matter? And so I went to this monastery and I sat with this monk. Um, and I said, you know, look, if you look at all the statistics and, uh, you see where things are headed, what is even the point? You know, like why, why even try? Yeah, yeah. And, he told me the story of the um, Bodhisattva and the starfish, you know, um, someone who's walking down the beach and he sees a guy who's picking up starfish that are washing ashore, you know, when starfish comes ashore, or drowns or dies, you know, if it's not in the water. Dies, yeah. And uh, he starts picking them up and he throws them back and he's throwing one by back, one, one back, another one back. And someone says, you know, hey, man, what are you doing? There, there's no point to this. You can't possibly get all of them. Um, it doesn't matter. And he picks one more up and he says, well, it matters to this one. He throws it back. And so when he told me yeah. that, I was like, yep. okay, I get it, but I'm not going to say I'm satisfied. You know, I still feel like, <laughs> the yeah, yeah. you know, and, yeah. um, and so it wasn't like an aha moment or anything. Um, but I will say, so after the retreat was over, this is about a week in silence. He comes up to me and he says, you know, can I sit with you? And this is, we've been in silence for most of this time. And so I said, of course, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're the Zen master of the monastery. I'm like honored, you know? And he started telling me the story and I didn't really know where it was going about how he was younger and he was my age. He went to this dance performance and um, there was this Asian American woman that he saw and he just fell in love with her and he just had to um, be with her and then like he met her and then they fell in love and then, um, you know, then they went apart or something. He then became a monk and she became like a nun and I didn't know what, where he was going with this. Then he changes the subject and he says, you know, there was a guy in the 1950s who saw a documentary about orphans on TV in Montana and he was so inspired that he went over to Korea. It was a, a orphan, um, orphans after the Korean War. He went to Korea and he adopted a kid. Two years later, he adopted four more kids. Five years later, he adopted six kids. Then he went over and he opened up an orphanage and he exported more kids around the world that needed homes than had ever been seen before. And uh, that woman that I fell in love with, who's currently also a nun here in the monastery, um, she came from that orphanage. So keep making documentaries. God, absolutely. That's a terrific story, Chris. <laughs> and so that just kind of was like, all right, I, can't, I, can't, I get it. You know, you, just, you never yep. know what the ripple effect is going to be. But you just got to, you do it and you just, you know, you do it. And yeah, if certainly it gets hard after a while. Like I've had, trust me, like, you know, I've struggled with PTSD. I've gone through um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, plenty of therapy, but I'm never going to stop it um, because there are too many important stories to tell. And the humans that you meet, the connections you make and the stories that you, that come out of the woodwork of, you know, some impact you may have had make it all worth it. And yeah, it gets hard, but frankly, like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm sure you know this too. There's nothing worth doing. It's yes. not hard and challenging and sometimes going to kick your butt. Right. With all that said, it's been awesome doing a show on travel channel, which is like <laughs> a little bit lighter. <laughs> and, I love um, travel channel. Absolutely. You, know, you don't feel but like, yeah, just, you are who you yeah, are. You, you are who you are because of that. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. It is a wonderful thing. Mission to Classified yeah. premieres this Sunday, as a matter of fact, at 9 o'clock Central Time, 10 o'clock Eastern and Pacific on Travel Channel. Love the Travel Channel. Christoph, as the season goes along, I'd love to talk to you again about all these things and, and talk more about uh, this kind of work has an impact. And it's, I think it's a very important part of the story. I really do. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, after the show goes to air, you know, watch a couple episodes or see one, and then, like, um, I'll come back on and discuss it with you. Like, some of them are love awesome. Some of them are challenging. Yeah, let's do it. We'll get it done. Thank you, Christoph. Have a great day, sir. Thank you. Take care. You too. Christoph Putzel, ladies and gentlemen, Mission Declassified premieres this Sunday, 9 o'clock Central Time on Travel Channel, uh, 10 o'clock Eastern and Pacific. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 